friends. If we haven't met, you've met my children. Uh, my name's Adam, and I want to say happy Father's Day. And uh, one of the, the shows I watch religiously is PTI on ESPN. And one of the co-hosts, Mike Wilbon, always says this. He says, two things can be true. Two things can be true. And uh, so today, I know a lot of you, for a variety of reasons, may have one foot kind of in grief mode and another foot in celebration mode. And I would just encourage you that two things can be true. I'm also not going to stand like this the whole time. <laughs> but you know, wherever, wherever you're at today, uh, we can bring that in together uh, to God. And uh, I hope today is a wonderful day. Uh, it may be a tough day for a lot of reasons, so we can bring all that together today, this morning. Uh, I have a concept I've been working on called Barbecue Proverbs, and uh, I'm fulfilling a lifelong dream of having a sermon essentially revolving around barbecue today. <laughs> barbecue is a source of pride here in Kansas City, uh, easily the country's greatest barbecue region, birthplace of burn-ins, that's right, that's right. For all you listening online from somewhere else, you're listening to the best barbecuers around in Kansas City. So uh, it's, it's a settled debate. We have a long history of agriculture and livestock in our area. You know, the rail, as a railway hub and in the center of the country, Kansas City was a great place uh, it's for a cattle show nationally, uh, which would eventually become called the American Royal. That's how the Royals got their name, by the way, if you didn't know that. Uh, we also have a legendary history of pitmasters like Arthur Bryant. Ollie Gates, and more recently, L.C. Richardson of L.C.'s Barbecue, and Rob Maggie of Q39. May they all rest in peace. Even as we name these, these establishments, uh, Arthur Bryant's or Gates, or Q, you, some of y'all were probably thinking, ooh, I like their sauce, or ooh, they have good beans, right? And, th and that's the thing with barbecue, is everyone has their favorites, and everyone has an opinion, right? And that's how life is, too, isn't it? I think you can learn a lot about life from barbecue. And so that's the concept of barbecue proverbs, this, uh, these sayings from barbecue that actually transfer over to real life. You know, you can't rush good barbecue. It kind of has a mind of its own sometimes. And when you've got your protein on the smoker, it can be tempting to kind of take a look and check on it and see how it's doing, check your progress, as if that's really going to change a lot. But every time you open your cooker, you're releasing all the heat that's actually going to do nothing but take longer. And so that's why we have the proverbial saying, if you looking, you ain't cooking. That's right. That's right. You know, what wisdom to deal with the anxiousness of life? By worrying, you're not going to make your poor shoulder cook any faster, and you're probably not going to make your situation any better either. One time a church member said to me, he gave me another barbecue proverb. He said, barbecue isn't hard, it just takes preparation. I think that's true as well. Holidays like Father's Day, not real hard to celebrate. You just need a little advanced planning, right? So I wanted to take these burnt ends of wisdom and do a sermon. Um, thought the dad jokes were over. They're not. I'm just getting warmed up. Uh, now, I do, want to I do want to say publicly, you can thank my wife, Sarah, for convincing me to condense this from like a 12-week series to one week. She was like, you should just do one. Just do the one. And I said that to Jeremy, and he was like, mm, yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, so I've been wanting to do this. This is the genesis of this concept was when I bought a Traeger product, and this was on the tag. Good barbecue comes from experience, and experience comes from poor barbecue. 
right? A lot of times we view failure as just that. Uh, we've, we've bombed at something. But there's almost nothing in life that we're immediately experts in. Almost nothing works that way. We learn and grow from experience if we're open to it. So that's what today's about. What I hope we'll discover together as we study God's word is that our willingness to learn determines our capacity for growth. The book of Proverbs is a collection of wisdom sayings. Traditionally, its author is seen as, uh, at least of most of it anyway, uh, is Solomon. Solomon was the son of King David, of David and Goliath fame. And Solomon was famous for his wisdom. He was given the chance to ask God for anything. And this is his request. This is from 1 Kings. Give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. That was what he wanted. Now, if you or I had the chance to ask God for anything, and it would be granted, one wish, so to speak, what would you ask for? Long life? Wealth? Maybe revenge on your enemies? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, Since you have not asked for long life or wealth for yourself, nor asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. So towards the end of his life, Solomon wanted to record all of this wisdom he had gained from God in order to pass it on. So this is what we find in the book of Proverbs. This is part of the genre in the Old Testament called the wisdom writings. So Proverbs is, is, is in there. The book of Psalms is, is considered uh, in, in the genre of wisdom writings, a couple other books. But wisdom is one of the main themes of the book of Proverbs. And I think you'll see that kind of embedded in our scripture, which comes from Proverbs 15, 31 through 33. Whoever heeds life-giving instruction will be at home among the wise. Those who disregard discipline despise themselves, but the one who heeds correction gains understanding. Wisdom's instruction is to fear the Lord, and humility comes before honor. So verse 31 says very plainly that those who accept correction are wise. So what's the opposite? Proverbs also says very plainly, fools despise wisdom and instruction. So the difference between a wise person and a foolish person is their willingness to learn. That's the difference between someone who's wise and a fool, their willingness to learn. Now the word fool is used 155 times in the Bible. I made you a little fancy pie chart with this. Actually, I have a very expensive software that does it for me. That big green chunk right there, that's Proverbs. 66 of the 155 times the word fool is used comes from the book of Proverbs. This is a main theme in, throughout the whole book, the wise and the foolish. Now in the Old Testament, a fool is specifically one who disregards the existence or significance of God. And so if you want to have a terrible evangelism strategy, just call someone a fool until they convert and let me know how that works, right? <laughs> but at the bottom of it, the wise instruction, the wise instructions of God are for people's good. And so we can reject these, which would sort of be like having a smoker that you never used, uh, but we don't, want to be, we don't want to be foolish. Those who disregard discipline despise themselves, we read. 
When I was in eighth grade, I came home with a pretty rough report card. Um, some of the grades I got, three specifically, uh, that letter is in my first name, and I'll just let you figure out uh, which letter that is. <laughs> now, my parents, of course, not happy. And their main concern, really, was the, the level of output of effort from me, right? So if I got a C in a class, but they could tell I was really working hard, that would be one thing. But what they didn't tolerate was getting bad grades just from, from not doing anything, from not caring, not trying. And so one day I came home from school, and my room looked like a Spartan prison cell. I mean, it was just, it was, everything was gone. I think they even took away my sheets on my bed. I can't quite remember, because I think I've tried to push it into my subconscious. But I remember being in eighth grade like, man, they took my sheets. I'm in big trouble. My social life was similarly stripped of any substance. And at the time, I mean, I hated it. But in retrospect, I can see that discipline was a sign of love and not the opposite. Discipline, when done in a healthy and appropriate way, is only and always for good. I'm going to say that again. Discipline, when done in a healthy and appropriate way, is always and only for good. So under this ideal, if people with authority in our lives, like our parents when we were younger, or our, maybe our supervisor at work, or maybe our teacher as we get a little older, they discipline us precisely because they care enough to do so. They care about our well-being, and so that's why they want to offer discipline. And the same is true with God. Now, I think we need to be careful not to chalk up things to God's discipline that are really our own mistakes. But many times in retrospect, we can see the love of God through things that may not have been easy in the moment. They may have been hard. And I also want to be sensitive to the fact that many of us may have received discipline from fathers or father figures that was not loving and that was not for our good. And I'm here to tell you that none of that comes from God. Now, in my family, we dealt with a lot of things through humor. So I would be remiss if I didn't pass on, as I will two or three times here, some of my dad's uh, burn-ins of wisdom. But as I tried to recover from my terrible grades that quarter, one of the escalating future realities that was presented to me as a potential punishment was my parents were actually going to send me to Mexico Military Academy. Now, that's in Mexico, Missouri, not like south of the border. I, I, oh, I almost made my first Guantanamo Bay joke. I don't think, I'm not going to do that. Uh, um, and so, I don't know if you've seen this. I didn't end up going, didn't need to. But uh, I think still today, Mexico Military Academy has a giant billboard on I-70. And so for years, years and years, whenever we'd pass that on the road, my dad would say, hey, Adam, smile and wave at your friends. <laughs> kind of reminded me of that. Let's get back to our scripture. <laughs> the one who heeds correction gains understanding. Wisdom instruction, wisdom's instruction is to fear the Lord. So to fear the Lord, this phrase is also found throughout the Bible. And it's a little confusing. Like, I want, I want my kids to be, like, 5% afraid of me, but I don't want that to be their main emotion when it comes to their dad. So how are we supposed to interpret fear of the Lord? 
The sense here is not like fear of scary movies or fear that something imminently bad is going to happen, but rather, in the Hebrew, it's more of a sense of reverence or respect. And I think that makes a lot more sense. The result of wisdom's instructions is a, is a reverence for God in, in that we recognize God's ultimate authority. So we're not the center of the universe. We're not in charge. God is. We don't actually know what's best for ourselves. God does. Our willingness to learn determines our capacity for growth. And so we grow through trying our own way most of the time and learning from our mistakes. When we heed correction, then we gain understanding about God's ways, which the Bible tells us are higher than our ways. Then we can understand what this proverb means. That's how we gain understanding. Finally, this proverb tells us humility comes before honor. Tokenbo Adiyomo notes that these closing verses from chapter 15, that it kind of sums up the entire book. This is one of the major themes, that the humble will be honored. That's one of the main themes of the Bible, actually. It's those who know that God's wisdom is greater than their own that can receive it. Elsewhere, we read, God opposes the proud, but shows grace to the humble. That's from James 4, 6. God opposes the proud, but shows grace to the humble. Now, is this because God is a meanie and has to be number one? Well, I don't think of it that way. I just imagine it would be pretty hard for God to help someone who doesn't think they need it. That's tough to do. In the New Testament, Jesus describes a similar dynamic when he said it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, I thought it would be appropriate on Father's Day to point out that we dads are notorious for not wanting to go to the doctor. But friends, we can't get medicine to get better if we don't admit that we're sick in the first place. So similarly, Jesus came for those that know they're sick. Jesus will accept us just as we are, but the whole point is not to stay that way. And so when we're open to the wisdom of God, when we're willing to take the position of a disciple, of a humble learner, then we can grow into the people that God desires for us to be. And it's a journey. We're going to make a lot of bad barbecue along the way. But this process, this journey of allowing God to change us, to work within us, to grow, is, the, is one of the foundations of Methodism. It's called sanctification, that we would grow to possess the mind of Christ and to walk as he walked. John Wesley quoted that all the time. That we would see the world as Jesus did and treat other people the way Jesus would. That's the aim of every true Christian. And here's the thing, we're never really done. In world-renowned pitmaster Aaron Franklin's book, he essentially says the same thing about barbecue, that you're not done. He says, the key to my own development, and it will be to yours, is repetition. Just as with anything, the more you do it, the better you'll get. In barbecue, that's especially true, particularly if you pay close attention along the way to what you did during the cooking process and when you did it. And then you note the final results and think about how to make the next cook better. Has anybody been to uh, the local place Fox and Fire 
It's off of 33, that big orange uh, kind of food truck looking thing. I asked local pitmaster Andy Fox of Fox and Fire Barbecue, how does he improve his barbecue and technique? He said essentially the same thing, just a lot more succinct. He'd be a great preacher. <laughs> Test and learn, repeat. And there he is working. So are you seeing the pattern here? These pitmasters who are experts at their craft still don't think they've arrived. They're humble enough to know they haven't arrived yet. We should aim for the same in our spiritual life. Our willingness to learn determines our capacity for growth. I've learned a lot about barbecue from my friend Cam. Here he is uh, with his nine-month-old Calvin, baby's first brisket. Right, he's trimming a brisket with his son, raising him up the way he should. And what I love about Cam is his dedication to improving. Now, Cam's, uh, Cam's barbecue that he makes is probably, like his brisket, is some of the best barbecue I think I've ever had that someone I knew made. And then when you sit down and eat, the first thing he'll say is, all right, constructive criticism, let's hear it. See, he wants to, he wants to get better and improve. I asked him last week how many briskets. By the way, I always get permission from people when, if I'm going to use them in a sermon. Now, some of our staff don't get permission before they interview my children, but that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> so I just, you know, I, I don't want y'all to be like, uh, I saw a pastor had a coffee mug and it said, be careful what you say, it may end up in my sermon. Uh, I thought that was funny. I just, I get permission about all this stuff. And I said to Cam, how many briskets have you made? And he said about 15. And he said, each time, he wants it to be better than the last one. And so for all you barbecue heads out there, here's why we got this picture. I wanted you to walk away with at least one barbecue tip, right? So what Cam recommends is called the foil boat method. So you'll smoke your brisket till about 160 or 180. And then you'll, rather than wrapping the whole thing, which might uh, gather moisture and steam the bark, the outer crusty part that we all love and is really tasty, you just do the bottom part and like the top edges with like a little aluminum foil boat and that'll kind of protect the bottom of it from burning or overcooking but also leave the bark crispy at the top. So there you go. Now, Lord help us if the only thing you got from church today was the foil boat method but I wanted to pass on some of what Cam recommended. Now, before Cam ever started his first brisket, he watched like 10 hours of YouTube about how to do it well. Each cook, he wants to improve. See, Cam is a great cook because Cam is a learner. He is at home among the wise because he receives correction and understanding. He seeks it out. So compare Cam's posture of a learner to me for a lot of my life. Now, again, I wanted to give you a little bit of my own dad's quotes. As an adolescent, my dad said this to me more than once. Adam... You should develop several subjects on which you have no opinion. <laughs> Even now in meetings, I'll start to pipe up and think, that should be on the list of no opinion. Okay. It stuck with me. In my 20s especially, and even into my early 30s, when I would get reviewed at work, like your annual review, I'd get some version of the following. I wish Adam were more open to the ideas of others. Now, my initial response was, well, I would be if others had better ideas. <laughs> it's, not, it's not hard, right? Well, who wants to work with someone that thinks they know it all? Not me. 
When we first uh, moved to Kearney, I counted up. It's about 800 Sundays until my daughter Betsy graduates. And I realized I don't have 800 good ideas. <laughs> I'm trying to be more open. I don't want to be uh, what we would in, in elementary school call the know-it-all. I don't want to be that person. And so what I have to fight, and, and I wonder if somebody else in here does too, somebody listening, what I have to fight is taking the position, not of a learner, but the instinct of being a knower. See, when we already think we know it all, we dismiss others because they have nothing to add. When we think we know it all and we're falsely self-sufficient, it's not a large jump from, I don't need anybody else to, I don't need God. The Lord opposes the proud. When we know it all, our capacity for growth is non-existent. So what I had to do was take an intentional path or subject myself to an intentional process to try and remain in that mode of a learner. It was uh, a couple years ago, my dad said to me, you know, what are you going to do to stay sharp after seminary? And after five years and 96 hours of master's degree work, my initial thought was, I was thinking, nothing. <laughs> I'm going to take a little break. Uh, but I, I followed my dad's wise advice, and I joined this amazing cohort of pastors. Some of you may have heard me talk about uh, my time in Texas. So uh, several times a year, I, we get together for uh, a time of learning. And one of those weeks, I received this. And I made a little chart for you. This is, these are differences between the knower and the learner. So as we go through these, I'd invite you to try and locate yourself on each of these kind of categories. So when it comes to the nature of intelligence, is it, is it set or, or can it be expanded uh, through effort? The knower thinks that intelligence is basically fixed. Note that this involves little effort for them to have to try and grow their own. And additional effort can't grow intelligence. The learner believes that intelligence is fluid and it can be significantly increased through effort. The knower, when it comes to like a gap in something that they, they may not know, they can't accept this. They're blind to it or, or, or they refuse to acknowledge that a gap exists. And so they're closed-minded towards new ideas and approaches. The learner recognizes and accepts a learning gap and so is open-minded toward new ideas and approaches. <clears throat> I want you to think about when you're gathering around, uh, talk about maybe holiday plans for Thanksgiving or Christmas, or at work when you're talking about maybe some new initiative, and, and think about who tends to try and shut those things down. They may be a knower. If you can't think of the person who does that, it, it might be you. It might be you. When it comes to, to, to feedback, right, gaining insights from others, the knower doesn't value it, especially when, if it doesn't already back up their own perspective. The learner, however, actively seeks out feedback, especially when a perspective differs from their own. If a knower's competency is challenged, if, if they're ever kind of getting pushback, they want to preserve their appearance as the expert, as the one who knows all. And so they get defensive if they get pushback or if their competency is challenged. Whereas a learner readily acknowledges that they don't know everything. They embrace their incompetence in certain areas. And they look at challenges as an opportunity to learn and improve. Finally, you can, you can tell the difference between a knower and a learner based on how they react to mistakes and setbacks. When the knower uh, experiences a setback or makes a mistake, makes a mistake, they see it as frustrating. 
or it's proof of inability. Maybe they're dismissive of someone else who makes a mistake and they miss the learning opportunity that mistakes bring. They're not willing to make a lot of bad barbecue. They think their barbecue is already good. But the learner experiences mistakes and setbacks as a natural part of the learning curve. They even say, since they expect it, that making a mistake or failing is confirmation that at least you're trying. It's a confirmation of effort, and they persist in the face of frustration. So friends, our willingness to learn determines our capacity for growth. May we make our home with the wise who know how little they know. May we fear the Lord and accept correction for the gift that it is. And may our next barbecue cook be our best. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today and all that it represents. Not just Father's Day, but an appointment with you here in worship. God, you, you, you explained yourself to us. You, you came to us in a, in a manner of relationship between child and parent. And so we thank you for the great examples of godly living that we have received from fathers or father figures in our lives. And God, for, for those times when maybe we didn't have that great example, may we graciously arrive at the place where we can think, well, at least we had a great example of what not to do. God, be with those who are mourning. Draw near to us. That as we may have an empty chair around the table this afternoon or just in our lives, that we might give thanks and even in the, the gut punch of grief, rejoice for the sign of love that that indicates. God, we have folks all over the map on days like today. And so whatever we brought in carrying with us, we lift it up to you. And no matter where we find ourselves, may we recognize that we are your beloved children. And might we remember that Jesus said, whoever wants to follow him must become like a little child, that we can't enter the kingdom of heaven unless we become like children who aren't preoccupied with their appearance of looking like an expert, who don't need a lot of explanation to try something new, who have a high degree of trust and will follow their loving parent wherever they take them. May we have the same approach with you, God. Help us to come to you as humble learners, as your disciples, that we might learn that your ways are higher than our ways, and we might accept and discover more and more of your love and not just keep it for ourselves, but to leave this place and carry it with us wherever we go, all throughout the week, each and every day. God, on this Father's Day, we praise you, our Heavenly Father. We open up our hands, we open up our minds, we open up our hearts to receive your wisdom. Help us to look to you for how to live, and not inward or out to the world. God, help us to be your beloved children who go and give that love away to the world. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.